please be seated. And I'd like to introduce um, our sermonizer for today, our preacher for today, Trent Smith. Um, some of y'all might have heard him speak at I Love My Church Sunday a couple years ago. And in fact, after he spoke, m- many of you came up and said, I'd like to hear more from him. And I thought the same thing. And so as we got to assigning who did different disciples um, and we got to the youngest, I really thought Trent could do a great job with that. And thankfully, he was one of our annual conference delegates. And so we were kind of talking about it a little bit at annual conference. And usually this doesn't inspire, you know, like desire to be more involved in the church going to annual conference. You're like, whoa. But um, when I asked Trent, he said he would be happy to do it. And so I'm really excited about him coming here to share with us. He is one of our youth leaders, very active in the youth program here. Um, And so if you have youth, some of your kids will know him. But would y'all give him a hand? Yeah, be, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm, I'm Trent, and I've never done this before. I've spoken about Jesus before. With, oh, I did. I did this this morning. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to help me write sermons. Um, but I've never, and I've spoken in front of groups before, but I had never, had, until 930, had done those two things at the same time. And so I wanted to give you some insight into how someone like me ends up standing up here. It's actually a pretty complicated process. Um, so you, you know that we, all, we have a, a church directory, and each of us has a little row in that church directory, our name on it. And so what Laura does is she takes that and she cuts it up into little strips of paper. She folds it up real tight and puts it in a big cowboy hat. And then she, she rustles it like this, and then she grabs a name. So because you could be up here next week, I want to give you a little bit of... <laughs> That makes people nervous, right? They're like, oh, what? Is he serious? Um, (laughs) I want to give you some insight into the process that you're going to go through as you prepare. And the first emotion that you're going to have is confusion because it's that thing where someone's waving at the person behind you, and you're like, surely she's not asking me to do this. Then the other step or emotion, and I couldn't quite land on what this was, but I want to say it's like buyer's remorse. So as soon as you hit send on that email or hang up the phone with Laura, you're going to go, why in the snot did I decide to do this? (laughs) Then as you start to study, you start to feel a bit of joy because there's such rich content and you feel this tremendous responsibility to do this thing and do it well. And then terror sets in as you realize you've been studying with your Bible upside down. (laughs) And that's not a good way to start. Um, Then you get your sermon written, and it's all on paper, and this calm comes over you, and you think, maybe I can do this. But then right at that Gloria Patri where you were all standing up, and you realize, oh, no, I have to actually go in and do this now, the terror comes back. (laughs) Um, But I'm really grateful to be with you today. Uh, Our scripture today is going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and starting in verse 2. So she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and he looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. 
Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. And so for those of you that are are visiting, we've been working through this series on the 12 disciples. And probably the biggest headline I've taken away from this lesson, at least this series, is that these guys were losers. They were just absolute losers. The word that uh, Laura gave us was agramatai idiotai, illiterate idiots. And it's given me a lot of peace that maybe there's hope for me, that there's these people who are ordinary or below ordinary, and when they meet Jesus, they can do some extraordinary things. The other big headline that I've been taking away is we all know this core story, but we've gotten to see it from 12 different angles now. I don't know about you, but we've heard this scripture a thousand times. Every Easter we read it, we hear about the empty tomb, but I've never looked at John. I've always looked at, oh, it's gone, the empty tomb, hooray, it's hallelujah. But I've never seen John in that moment, and we get to see John in that moment. Um, so when Laura asked me to talk about John, honestly, I, I didn't know a whole lot about him. I was thinking, let's see, he's probably have something to do with the book of John, and he was a disciple and probably a fisherman, and that's a good start, right? But it turns out we know a ton about John. Uh, John wrote uh, a big, big chunk of the Bible for us. Um, other than Paul and Luke, he was the most prolific author for the New Testament. And we also know a lot about John from the tremendous amount of stories that he's in. He's all throughout. He's always there. But then we can also learn from John from reading the words that he's left for us. So while I I didn't know a lot about John when I started, as I read and more and more, and there's a lot of rich stuff there, I was feeling (laughs) really great about it. Like, Laura gave me the best disciple. Like, I don't have to do Andrew. I don't have to do... Nobody knows who Andrew is. John's awesome. And... uh, But then I had that feeling of, this is really for me. You know that thing where people offer you a mint, and you're like, oh, great, a mint. And then you go, oh, this is for me. And uh, so I I, I did. I I learned a ton about John. And one of the things we know about John from Christian tradition and then also from the uh, dates that the books that he wrote are is that he was one of the oldest disciples, or one of the um, disciples who didn't die a martyr's death. So he got to live well into his 90s and had the benefit of growing in his faith, getting older in his faith, and influencing thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians. And so I was trying to think about what that would be like. There's some, there's some writings that describe John coming to churches and being in his 90s and being so old and decrepit that he can't even get into the sermon anymore. So some, they have to carry him and prop him up. And I was thinking, people must have been freaking out. Like, this is John. This is one of the disciples. This is one of the folks that that hung out with Jesus. And I was thinking, like, in today's world, what would that be like? And I was thinking about Paul McCartney. Now, some of you may love Paul McCartney's solo work. I'm sure you really do. But when Paul McCartney gets up there and starts playing the guitar, you're thinking one thing. You're thinking, this guy used to be in the Beatles. And I bet you that's what folks thought about when they saw John, is this guy used to hang out with Jesus. So the other thing that we know about John is that he was the youngest disciple. Um, Lost my page. 
He was, he was the youngest disciple. When Jesus first called him, um, he was still working as a fisherman with his father, Zebedee. And there's a couple stories in the Bible where his mom is involved. And how embarrassing is that? Like you're this 15, 16-year-old kid, and your mom, you're trying to take over the world with Jesus, and your mom's hanging out. <laughs> so we hear his name mentioned a whole lot. And unlike Peter, who was this brash, bold guy who was always acting in the lead, John wasn't acting in the lead, but John was always there. And unlike Andrew, who was always in the shadows, kind of people forget about him, um, John was always in the Bible. So from the garden, uh, he was there. When he went to prepare the Lord's Supper, he was there. At the trials, he was there. At the foot of the cross, he was there. So we see John multiple, multiple times through the Bible. And uh, John had quite a few nicknames in the Bible. Jesus actually gave him a nickname, him and his brother James. He called them Sons of Thunder. And I was thinking about this, that if Jesus gives you a nickname, you're probably going to have to like it. Like he said, I'm going to call you Scooter. You're like, thanks, Jesus. I will forever, hence thou forth be Scooter. And that's a lot of fun, right? Um, So he had a lot of names, John the Elder, John the Eagle, Son of Thunder, John the Beloved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So John was an eager guy, and some scholars will even say maybe unattractively ambitious. That guy at work that's always like, great idea, boss, that's John. And his eagerness often led him to mistakes. Uh, One of the early stories we hear about John is uh, when he came to Jesus and said, hey, with his brother James, when all this is over, do I get a place at the throne next to you? It's going to be so great. And Jesus kind of just shakes his head. Um, but he's making these mistakes because he's so eager. So I told you that I've, I've done this before, like speaking in front of groups. Uh, my background is in corporate training. And one of the, the classes that I had the pleasure of teaching was called Situational Leadership. And to put that into a really condensed version, situational leadership is a model for leaders to think about how people who follow them develop over time. So a quick commercial on that, it's there's a development level one is when you're brand new at something, you're super eager, you kind of just don't know what you don't know, but you're really excited to get started. And then that second stage is where you start to try stuff and it doesn't work and you feel bad and you're confused. Third stage is you start to develop some competency, but you haven't developed confidence yet. And then a final stage is when you reach mastery, where you can teach others how to do something. So I'm going to give you an example of this. Um, A couple years back, I decided, I was watching the Food Network and saying to myself, I can make homemade potato chips. I don't have to buy the greasy bag. I'm going to buy, make them myself. So I was super eager to try this new thing, and the mistake that I made right away was doing this when I had a house full of people. I had about 25 people over, and I'm going to make homemade potato chips. And so you know that thing where your oil is crazy, crazy too hot, and as soon as the littlest piece of potato chip hits the oil, it burns up? Right. So... And you know that thing where you start a grease fire and there's smoke in the house and you're screaming and there's children screaming and you're running out the thing with a hot boiling pot of oil and you knock people over? That's eagerness leads to mistakes. But the great thing about eagerness and and making mistakes is that we get to learn. And so the blessing that John gave us through his mistakes is all these great teachings. 
So we saw him a few times make some pretty crummy, make some crummy decisions, and each time Jesus teaches us something. He teaches us in the story of, of having a place at the throne. He says, that's not my place, that's God's place. And he gives us a little lesson on servant leadership. Then there's another time where John and James make an, or John makes the mistake. They're out witnessing and talking to folks, and they find this guy who's casting out demons in Jesus' name, and John's furious. He's like, you can't do that. You're not one of the disciples. And he gets real proud of himself because he goes and rebukes him. And then he goes back to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I rebuked this guy, and I told him he couldn't do it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. And he gives us that great lesson of he who is not against us is for us. And then the final time, and this is probably the doozy, is John and James are out preaching in a Samaritan village, and they're so fired up. They've met Jesus. They love Jesus. They've seen what he can do. And they are trying to win these folks over, and they just don't do it. And so John and James come to Jesus and said, let's call down fire and burn them up. And this time we don't get red text. All it says in the verse is Jesus rebuked John. Because I'm thinking at this point, Jesus is like, John, you've heard enough. That's awful. Let's not even go there. So I mentioned to you that, that John had these different nicknames, and one of them was Sons of Thunder. And there's a couple of different ways that folks look at that nickname. Why did, why did John and James have this name? Well, the, the, the word that Jesus would have said was boanerges. It's an Aramaic term. And if you translate it, it's literally Sons of Thunder. And the thought is, is that he was quick-tempered that you didn't do what he said and he was going to bring down fire on you. There's another philosophy that the Boanerges is about being a powerful speaker, a good presenter. And we have some evidence of that in Acts. In Acts, Peter and uh, John are preaching and they're talking about how the um, Sadducees are, are saying, man, they really speak with a lot of boldness. And I think all of that's true. There's another interpretation of Sons of Thunder that I kind of like. And it's... Uh, uh, how you interpret it when you translate it from the Greek, and it's less literal translation, and it's one who was struck by thunder or astonishment. So not a son of thunder, angry, but someone who was astonished by the power of Jesus. And yes, he was eager, and yes, he charged in, and yes, he made crazy mistakes, but he was doing it because he was a son of wonder, wonder at the power of Christ. So we see John everywhere um, in Scripture. And there's this new John that begins to form later in Jesus' ministry. And I'd seen, have you all seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? It's, for some say, it's, it's a hard movie to watch. I'd seen it a couple of times, and every time I'd watched it, I never noticed John. And then I started preparing for this sermon, and I watched it again, and I saw John for the first time. And one of the reasons you don't notice John is because he doesn't say a word. He, he's silent throughout the entire film. But what you see from John is he's always there and always loving. In that path from trial to cross, John is with Mary at every step. And when she's broken because she's watching her son die, John is the disciple who's there and showing love and compassion and mercy. And we see John a little bit later, and it was in the scripture that we read and I, I had never focused on John. But what we hear is that Peter and John are side by side. And I don't know if John was carrying something. Like I, I picture that he had a big stack of papers in an envelope. 
And then as soon as he heard the news, he just dropped everything and ran. Like all out sprinted. When's the last time that y'all just ran? Like sprinted as fast as you could to where your muscles ached? That's what I picture John doing there. And then John does something different that we wouldn't expect of him. He stops. He stops at the tomb and he waits for Peter, the elder. This isn't the same John. John waits and he looks in. Peter comes in and, and Peter's looking all around the tomb and he's turning over the napkin and he's looking at it and he's like, hmm, this is very interesting. It appears someone is raised from the dead, right? And John doesn't do that. He doesn't give it a second look. All he does is, what does the verse say? He walked in, he saw, and he believed. So I see a different John here. I see a John who, his friend, the guy that he loved, may be alive. It's a different John. So if this was a corporate thing and I was speaking to a group of managers or something like that, this would be the part we call it a call to action. Because we talk about some stuff and we learn about some stuff and we share some things with each other. But what are we going to do about it? And the thing that's been on my heart and the challenge for me is how do I keep the energy to keep running, to keep sprinting and going after it? Um, Laura mentioned that I, I get a chance to work with the youth and I had the tremendous honor of going with them to San Antonio for the very first mission trip. And one of the coolest things about that, I was thinking I was going to be working a lot and hammering and doing, and I did some of that, but I also got to just step back and watch them work. And what I saw in their eyes was we're changing the world. And maybe that's a little naive because this was seven houses in poor, poor, rundown San Antonio, seven homes, but they believed it. And we say in this church, we believe youth lead. My challenge for me is that's not about your age, but that's maybe about the attitude that we bring to what we do for Christ. Let's pray. God, you are so, so good. And we are so, so young. We run after you and we trip and we fall and we fall again and again. And you set this impossible example for us. But what we know is as we run, as we trip, you're there to pick us up and teach us. Teach us to love like you. Teach us to forgive like you. Amen.